You're listening to TWN Champions, Episode 6. Champions, arise! Welcome to the Champions Countdown Podcast, where we summon heroes from across space and time to populate our intergalactic museum, or something like that. This is episode six. I'm Rebecca, and with me is... He lost his flux capacitor at a Boy Scout campout, and now he's stuck in 2020. It's Will! How do I get to the science fair? (laughs) Have you been to any good science fairs lately? Not or anything. Me. Have you been anywhere lately? That's a question also. What what have you been up to? Well, as as you know, we've been dieting lately. That's a thing we've been doing. That is an activity when you're at home a lot. Yeah, that's a dieting di- is like a whole thing you can do. It's like a hobby. And my skin is still recovering from the caliper measurements you took from me yesterday. <laughs> Listen, you want to know information? You got to suffer a little bit for it, which I think will be a theme of our episode. I just don't episode. know. I just don't know why. You know, when you do the calipers, you're supposed to grab a little bit of skin and then pinch them. But Rebecca likes to grab with the calipers <laughs> like she's Clampor the robot or something. It's yeah. like, why use my hands when I got this new tool? Like I'm Edward Caliper hands. Yeah. So I've suffered for science. I was created by a mad scientist in a lab. To pinch fat and measure it in millimeters. I have but one job. I don't know. Well, I I would say, speaking of which, what are we talking about today? But I feel like we've given it away a little bit. Well, if you looked at at the title, but uh, we we are talking about our personal favorite takes on the scientist archetype. I have four. Rebecca has four. It's a top eight. Plus one, because Scott is here with beer later to deliver his pick. <laughs> he did bring his own, although we probably should have put some in a circle to summon him forth. That's how that <laughs> works. Some nice summary IPAs. That's how you summon a Scott. All right, well, then let's get into it. So first of all, because we did not consult with each other at all on this Not one. much. Not yeah. much. What What is a scientist to you And when you when you picked things on this list? It is a pretty broad topic, so I guess the first thing to say is... We even talked about whether we should do different shows for good scientists and bad or mad scientists, but I think you kind of have to talk about them together. And in fact, when I was doing a little bit of reading about this, I was kind of reminded about how in the golden age of comics, you had more science heroes like Alan Moore would talk about in The Watchmen, and most of those heroes were triumphing through inventions and deduction until the script kind of flipped later on, and then it became more popular to have scientists who will stop at nothing and sacrifice the whole world if people are getting in the way of their experiments, which is more of our mad scientists. Yeah, I I feel like from what I, from my extensive research, (laughs) from what I have read, it does seem like um, ever since we started talking about scientists, we were talking about mad scientists. Mm -hmm. Like the, the, the duality has always existed in popular lore and uh, literature. 
So I guess for my definition, it's basically just anyone who was doing empirical study and experiments since about the Enlightenment era, right? So that's kind of like what we're doing, although we have to agree that there are lots of the noble scientists that we all admire, and then we have to also admit that man's hubris sometimes get in the way, and he doesn't know that he's not God. Well, I think we see in a lot of stories, too. You'll see in the same story a scientist moving from one end to the other end. That's true. That's true, because sometimes too much science can be a bad thing. That might, that might be a theme that we that we see here and there. Um, and I guess for me, the iconic sort of scientist was a mad scientist, because uh-huh. I, I think we can agree that Dr. Frankenstein was probably like yeah. the one in pop culture that sure. we're all pointing to. Cause that's, yeah, I think uh, when we think of our uh, templated person, we think of like, who would be boring to be our number one? <laughs> it's a good one to right. do it. So we know it. Dr. Frankenstein probably probably is the best iconic one I could think right. of. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't. Uh, you didn't put him on the countdown, no, did you? I didn't, okay. I didn't. No, I didn't. I either, but I, I did see, I mean, just in everything, there's literally a Wikipedia article on a list of mad scientists, and they all play off the Frankenstein mm-hmm. Uh, story, I think. So that's why I would call him sort of our reference point. And then when I was doing the countdown, I don't know about you, but I didn't pick any social scientists. Like, I didn't... <laughs> no, know, okay. we're talking about lab coats and beakers. There There's a go. look because, there you, go. you know, Im- implied in our archetypes are people that are going to be champions in a comic or superhero or turn them into action figures and make them fight later for us, kind of. It sounds like you picked a lot of good guys. <laughs> not necessarily, not okay. necessarily. I want to just go ahead and tell you all that my list is weird. Uh, there's bad guys with lab coats. And like I say, a lot of them drift back and forth. Oh, that's true. Okay, okay. So it's all part of a very long arc. Okay, that's good. Um, I am going to warn you, mine are weird. I make no apologies, oh, That's what's good. That's I've good. also got to tell you that I've got a rant brewing, and I don't know if it's going to come about naturally. And if it doesn't, then I may just have to squeeze it at the end. We'll just see. We'll I'm kind of glad you mentioned that because the last thing I had for this section of the conversation was uh, one piece of criteria I wanted to uh, offer up that I thought you might get a little wild about. So I'm just going to offer it up. Okay. Uh, I think one piece of criteria is to be a scientist, you have to be at least 30 years old. Thank you. <laughs> how did you predict? How could you predict my rant? I, we have never talked about this, no. except I remember every time we watch a movie, it's something that drives us crazy. And especially you, if it's like <gasps> a really young woman. Uh, I, I, I did some looking up because I was so annoyed by that. Yeah, well, there are probably a few examples would be funny to talk about, but yes, okay. please continue. Well, I'm going to keep, well, I, you know, maybe we'll just keep this under our yeah. hat for now, but yes, you have to be 30 years old to be a scientist. Details later, we'll see. And if we, I, be, I can fit it into honorable mentions if we don't mention the person other, otherwise on the countdown. Okay. 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 That, uh, okay. that sounds good. Is that okay? Yeah. Remind me. All yeah. right. Okay. I'll take Cause it. if you get me wound up now, I don't know if there's any coming back from That's it. That's true. Let's, 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 yeah, Whew. we should have a show. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Don't want to have any rage stroke. Do you want to start us off with your first pick? Number eight. All right, so we didn't have a lot of rules in my house growing up about things we couldn't watch. Uh, I saw RoboCop when I was way too young. I think I've talked about this before. Way too young. You cannot see RoboCop until you're 30 years old. (laughs) 
<laughs> that's <laughs> the is, number. As the scientist yeah. rules, apply to RoboCop too. Yeah. So, so you violence. Cannot handle it. You'll have bad dreams. That's right. If you're 29 years old, don't watch it yet. <laughs> uh, violence wasn't a problem for us. Adult situations, you just didn't need to discuss. But my mom could not stand something tacky. If it it would embarrass her that you were watching it, you couldn't watch it. And so I want to talk now about Dr. Putrid T. Gangrene from Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, the animated series. I never saw that. <laughs> I was going to ask if you remember. No, I mean, I, I'm familiar. I'm familiar with the song from the movie, That's exactly too. what I was going to ask you. I, I was, I was going to mention the... I know you'd be aware in the 90s, especially we were big into mutating things, even like foods for toy lines and stuff. So if you don't remember the show, like you say, I think you would remember the theme song, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. I've never never seen the film, but how come I've heard that song a lot? I don't know. It was a great song. I think most people watched it because of that song. Maybe it was playing on repeat in a Chuck E. Cheese somewhere, and I picked it up. All the Fox Kids promos used to play it a lot. I think it was pretty fun for them to... They're pretty proud of that. That's definitely where I heard it. Okay, continue. So, Well, let me give you a little history about where this came from because it is so bizarre. I think it really helps to know where it came from. It was based on the film Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, which was a parody of B-movies. I saw one review that said something about this movie being like a one-note joke that lasts two hours, which sounds about right. Um, (laughs) And then the animated show came about because there was a really popular Muppet Babies episode that parodied the movie, and then the studios wanted a movie sequel for it and an animated series. Okay, the Muppet Babies, we don't have to talk about them, but their stories were pretty cute. They were pretty good. It was a good show. It was was made more sophisticated than I would have realized (laughs) when I was a child. But then as an adult, I do realize that the stuff I liked when I was a kid was not terrible stuff. Yeah, you liked it for a reason. Yeah, Yeah. so here we go, Muppet Babies being sophisticado (laughs) with with their choices. Okay, so we do get an animated series from the Muppet Babies, and it focuses on the mad scientist who created the tomatoes, Dr. Putrid T. Gangrene, who was voiced by John Astin, the original Gomez Adams. Oh, okay. Also, that's a great name. It is a good name. It's a real good name. Okay, I studied very hard to understand what this show was about. <laughs> I watched an episode, and I'm going to do my best to explain it to you. Okay. Dr. Gangrene is trying to make killer tomatoes. Let's start there. He makes a lot of them, but accidentally makes one that acts like a dog, and its sister is a tomato that looks exactly like a teenage girl. She's a tomato (laughs) who appears in her brain like she's a tomato biologically, but on the outside, she phenotypically uh, presents as a woman. Uh, Okay. All right. Okay. I'm with you so far. All right. So those two rejected tomatoes escape and join forces with a boy whose family are veterans from the tomato war. Okay. And they're trying to stop Dr. Gangrene. Okay. Now, Dr. Gangrene is hilarious. He doesn't even sound like a bad guy. I think he even comes around to the good guy's side by the end of the show. In one clip, he said something weird about his University of Wisconsin class ring. I mean, it was just insane. Igor is the same voice actor for Leonardo from the... Ninja Turtles series, and he does the exact same voice because he just plays the 90s, dude. Yeah. He was like, I'm not going to think too hard about how to do this. 
The show was tragically 90s. The shorts, the colors, the bathing suit the girl wears the entire episode. You're just trying to get me to watch it by telling me that. <laughs> I love things that are tragically 90s. Well, I like a mad scientist who's working on something stupid, and when it goes wrong, it makes fun for everybody. And I think a lot of insect candy is made this way. And I just <laughs> thought this was a great example of this. He's a good man. <laughs> he's a man, right? He's not a tomato. Yeah, he's a man, but his skin is green for no reason. Okay. Probably from experiments. <laughs> we can only assume. <laughs> hey, my University of Wisconsin fraternity ring. You greedy thing. Oh, well, it's for a good cause. <laughs> Evil. Number seven. But wiser you created a monster, and they call him Frankenstein. In the tavern down the street is the laboratory. Well, I'd like to say that we're going to go from a weird one to a normal one, but I, I, I got to do it. <laughs> Coming in at number seven. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know why I feel compelled. I wonder to how long it'll be before we have to stop apologizing. <laughs> Coming in at number seven, I give you the titular doctor in the song Drinkenstein. I was wondering about this <laughs> Composed one. by Dolly Parton and Larry Weiss. Performed by Sylvester Stallone in the 1984 film Rhinestone. <laughs> okay, okay, listen. First of all, I just want to talk about Rhinestone. That's the number one reason that I might that I might have chosen this for for a pick. But before I can do that, I gotta tell you that the lyrics to this song are fantastic, and they do describe someone with a penchant for alcohol as a mad scientist, and he experiments on himself, and he ruins his life because the lyrics are. Budweiser, you created a monster, and they call him Drinkenstein. And the tavern down the street is the laboratory where he makes this transformation all the time. You're like, okay, God, that's good. That's uh -huh. a good couple, they are right? Good. And a stein of Dr. Bud is just a pint of monster blood. And it does affect me different every time. The <laughs> what? So It's I hard just, to believe this song exists. I know. And it's poetry. It's stupid poetry. Listen. Stupid art can be beautiful, and I love Drinkenstein. I just think it's an amazing song. It exists in that perfect Venn diagram of things that I like. Then I know that you know, like, do you like country monsters? Yes. Well, there's that song for you. That is the song for you. And if you've not seen uh, Rhinestone, I would say remedy that, but you probably don't need to, but you could. But basically, the plot of it is that Dolly Parton is a nightclub singer at a club called the Rhinestone, and her club manager won't let her out of her contract. And so she makes a bet with him. She's like, I can make anybody into a country singer, because I'm like that good at country music. And this is Dolly Parton talking here, so you know she ain't, she ain't lying, right? And so he's like, fine, I pick the... Sylvester Stallone, <laughs> and you've got to do it. I'm ready to sing. <laughs> Let's do it. The story is just as bonkers as you would think, and it's amazing, and it's terrible. And uh, the critical reception of this film was abysmal, as you can imagine. There is a fantastic quote from Dolly Parton in her book where she said, um, you know, I don't know if 
audiences just didn't want to see Sylvester Stallone do country, or they didn't want to see me do Sylvester Stallone. But one thing's for sure, they didn't want to see Rhinestone. <laughs> That's a good line. It is. It's better if you say it like Dolly Parton, but I'm not going to spare you all that. <laughs> so anyway, it's just I just I just like making songs part of the countdown because I just love characters that live in songs. Drinkenstein needs his day in the sun. That's all I got to say. Well, I like how in that song is not even a metaphor. I mean, well, it, it is conceptually, but the lyrics in the song, there's literally about a mad scientist in his laboratory, which they pronounce laboratory-i-e. Laboratory, to make yeah, it rhyme. To make it work better. And, and we were actually hearing about a mad science experiment. Yes. But that it been at the tavern. Don't do it. Don't go there. <laughs> If, unless you want to, unless you want to make some bad stuff happen. And they call me alienation of late 20th century life is sadly misdirected. All right, my next pick, which I believe is going to be pick number six, if I'm not confused by what I wrote down, is... <laughs> I can't count, but you're right. Okay, yes. <laughs> is Beast from X-Men. Oh, I'm glad you did an X-Man. Yeah. I thought about I thought about an X-Man. There were, I mean, their comics are lousy with scientists, but I... Is he the best X-Man? If if we're playing a video game, is he at the top of the list? I know you like people who can lift heavy objects in the video game. Well, right, because you don't want the voice actor to have to be like, I can't lift this. You used to hate that, or at least you were relentless in making fun of me about it when you walked by. But there was... Which X-Men game was it? Was it X-Men, X-Men Legends. Yeah, X-Men Legends. For the Xbox. Yes, and every a time... match made in heaven. You have to go see if you could pick up everything, and if you have somebody that's not Colossus or, or It Beast. was always Wolverine. Yeah, he's like, I can't lift this. I can't lift that. It was voiced by Steve Bloom in the game, so there's some <laughs> trivia for all of you. Well, I wanted Beast because I wanted somebody who was transformed by their own experiment, like we are doing with our slow carb diet. Yeah, that I assume that's what he was trying to do as well. <laughs> and he probably also couldn't stop eating tombstone pizzas. That's probably why it's he a did common this. problem, and science has yet to figure it out. <laughs> well, most comic fans probably know Beast wasn't always covered in blue fur with like witch hair coming out of his head. He was born a mutant, uh, basically just strong with big hands and feet. But later, while working in a lab. He wanted to spy on the head of the company, so he took some serum to disguise himself, but couldn't change back, which seems like he really just wanted to experiment on himself to me. (laughs) Is this reversible? Maybe not. Uh, well, we'll just try. So Beast is kind of interesting because he can't really interact with the world as directly because of his appearance, so he engages with it in the abstract, and he's one of the world's leading genetics experts. And he has a doctorate in biophysics from the Xavier Institute, which is funny to me because <laughs> is this a real school? Well, I was going to say, how are they accredited? I think they're properly? a diploma mill for X Men. For X Men specifically, <laughs> I was going to say it's like an online school that's dubious, yes. like a for-profit online school. It's like, are you sure you should be going there? Which of, that... which of the following X Men has eye blast powers? <laughs> hey. 
Jubilee. Well, also, I feel like if you're an X-Man and you're applying for a job, they're not going to be looking at your education section so much because they'll be, they'll be more interested in like, so what are your mutant powers? Yeah. And they're like, I feel that that is a violation of my rights to ask me that. <laughs> But like Xavier as you see, Institute. Hmm. I was gonna say I have my bachelor's of science in X arts. <laughs> well, you know, Wade, that is so silly to me. I was looking at the official Marvel website. You know, I was like, is this a thing? So I had to go do more investigation. And yes, it is. Uh, the X Man Angel is a grad assistant. He really is. Oh, that's hilarious. And Beast is listed as a professor. So they, they take the school thing seriously they at the must. Professor Institute. That's a big vote of confidence for the school if you want to get your graduate degree and then go on to teach there from the same institution. <laughs> I had the X-Mansion uh, manual that cost a million dollars that I picked oh, up at Food yeah. Lion. I do not remember seeing anything about academics in there. It's mostly <laughs> danger room stuff, okay? That is a delightful volume. I remember that now. No, we've looked at that a lot. I, yeah. Uh, I, I look, yeah. It looked very Jim Lee heavy. I don't remember if it is. But anyway. They I, had some cool lounge areas. They did. In the X-Mansion. It's relaxation and like uh, getting your bro pump on all the time. That's basically all they and did And you there might the want to sit on a lavender couch by some potted plants and, I don't know, listen to the hits of today. And if you're to believe all the love triangles that happened in the 90s comics all of them have to share a bathroom like a dorm, even though they're adults. So that happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I like Beast the best, especially in the 90s cartoon. He was, that cartoon was so weirdly melodramatic that all his philosophy stuff fit in pretty smoothly. I think he was later sort of like an emo professor in the later X-Men cartoons. And then, of course, remember Kelsey Grammer. I feel like you think fondly of Kelsey Grammer as Beast, which is funny because, you know, there's a lot. It's a little silly, but I feel he like... He looks just like him. I mean, I kind of even feel weird about Kelsey Grammer if you know too much yeah. about him. But he was a really good Beast. I mean, he looked just like him. I mean, I, I can't even remember the third movie, but I remember he looked exactly like the 90s cartoon Beast. Who was Beast in the newer ones? Like I the, don't know. Yeah, I, I, I like watched one Is it of the them. kid from the movie about a boy? Oh, yeah. That I is, think it is might be. Him? Yeah. I'm going to say it is because of his eyebrows, I think. I think so, I think you're right. Well, I wanted this self-transformation kind of person because I want somebody that will sacrifice themselves if that's what it takes to move their experiments forward, especially if it's unnecessary. Kind of like the fly, but less gross. I was going to say kind of like the four-hour body, which is the <laughs> diet that we're doing that Tim Ferriss we'll did. Yeah. And, I don't say, I'm not going to say check it out because it is insane, but that is what he was doing. Yeah. I just feel like there's a lot of things coming full circle for you right now. <laughs> <laughs> Number five. Tonight, my unconventional conventionalists, <laughs> you are to witness a new breakthrough in biochemical research. And paradox is to be made. At number five, I have Dr. Frankenfurter, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Okay. Because, I don't know, I can't pick a normal scientist. And because of my very strict rule about how they have to be at least 30 years old. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll all get these, to that. All these mad scientists are pretty, like, good-natured so far. So far. I think Frankenfurter's probably more on your darker side right. here. But he's happy about it. But he is, yes. He's, he's living... 
a, a grand life, which is what we should all aspire to be doing, right? Okay, so the reason why I feel like this is an important pick for mad scientist, twofold. Number one, we got to talk about Tim Curry, which is, he, he's great. But number two, it's a, it's a dominant culture kind of endeavor, right? Because you can't do too much science if you're poor and you don't mm -hmm. have any resources and you don't have a wealth of knowledge and you don't have pr the privilege to be able to do science, mm -hmm. right? I like, by this time... People were like, you know what? We need some weirdo scientists. Like, we need we need the fabulous weirdos of the world to embrace science and specifically mad science. So, Doctor, he, he turned it to a lifestyle. Yes, <laughs> yes, fabulous, freaky, mad science, mad alien science. It was strange. If you've never watched the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I mean, there's a lot of good reasons not to just watch the film. It, People made too big a deal about it for for me to for me to watch it. By the time I was I would be willing to watch it, everybody like you haven't seen it before. You haven't seen it. Oh. You should go to it. You should go to it with me. We'll make a big deal about it. Yeah. And then even beyond that, I just don't like the idea of playing catch up to something. Like, don't let me feel it. like you're already coloring my experience for me. That well, I and the people who are doing this are like very enthusiastic. Like, it's it's full of things you hate, which is audience participation, singing, like <laughs> musicals, singing, and theater kids. Like, those are all like a trifecta <laughs> of things that you would put. It even looks like a cool movie to me. Well, and it's not a great movie, but Tim Curry is to be uh -huh. celebrated in it, yeah. right? And I mean, we don't even have to. So I'm just generally speaking, the plot is a couple of dorks have their car breakdown, played by Susan Sarandon and Barry oh, really? Boswick. They are, yeah, she was the main dork, okay. Janet. Um, also, I just the way that I constructed that sentence made it sound like the car was played by Susan Sarandon. This is not a Transformers. <laughs> film. She was also the Reverend Mother in the Dune. <laughs> oh, that's thing. true. Okay, I thought you were saying she was also <laughs> Optima, Optimus Prime's yes, mother. Yes, she was also a boat. <laughs> She was also the girl transformer. No. Um, and so they seek out refuge in a freaky deaky castle where shenanigans ensue. And the shenanigans are the handiwork of a mad scientist, Dr. Frank Inferter, who is from a planet called Transsexual Transylvania. Okay. Or just don't just don't think too hard about it. I didn't know he was an alien, okay. He is technically an alien, so that, that'll get you more on his side. And, of course, this is just Tim Curry at his most ridiculous. And I do think that it is just, it, it's a campy, really silly, ridiculous cult movie. But I think we can all agree that um, I, I think Tim Curry in this role did a lot to make gender fluidity kind of, like, hot and happening. Uh -huh. Like, serious. I mean, like, you know, seriously, because I, I feel a lot of people... Uh, would look to that character and be like, what's going on there? I'm mm -hmm. not sure, but I like it. I'm in, we're it, talking about the 70s uh, here. Yeah, I was about to say, is this sort of David Bowie yeah, too? Yeah, yeah. And, okay. and, and I do think that that was an important cultural moment. Yeah. He definitely was really, really working that. And I love androgyny as a concept because mm -hmm. it helps deconstruct gender stereotypes. Let's just get it out there. Um, but yeah, Tim Curry, magnificent in this role, and we should applaud Tim Curry always, because whether he's doing this or being another scientist in that terrible gorilla film, Congo, <laughs> yeah. that we all love, I could have picked that one to talk about Tim uh -huh. Curry, but, or, <laughs> you know, or if he's being a terrifying clown um, in It, the original one, the OG, Tim Curry is a treasure. We love him. We need to just, you know, we need to take good care of him. He's precious. <laughs> and and the uh, sleazy uh, real estate developer in Roseanne. 
Yeah, he was. He yeah. was all over the place. Dad, you must be kidding. I love. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I love when he was on that. I love seeing Tim Curry in places. Bless him. He's just so wonderful. I know he's ailing. He's not well these days, which is really a pity because it would be my dream to be able to con- bring him to the convention. That that doesn't. Who knows if it ever happens again? COVID. But um, yeah, the only other thing that I want to say about the Rocky Horror Picture Show is that. It is a party when they get to the mansion and the party is full of fabulous weirdos, which, as you know, is one of my favorite things in film. I, I really love that. I, I love being like, I don't know what's going on at this party, but I want to go there. <laughs> don't dream it. Don't dream it. Scott's pick. Who's that? He's the son of Poseidon. Who's that? He's going to find him. Who's that? He's sitting in a kiddie pool in your yard. Give him a beer and stop. Yes. <laughs> it's 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 scheduling around food and other things, I guess. Because there's not much to do. You go to the zoo and they close down half the zoo and you just walk by animals and they're mostly asleep or whatever else <laughs> kids are like this is not fun anymore we can't go in anywhere and you're like all right well you know whatever <laughs> so yeah we got a trampoline and they seem to love that and they haven't injured themselves terribly yet so that's good yeah. terribly that's you're the important qualifies a good parent for now yeah so. yeah yeah they haven't fallen out of it or anything you know well speaking of doctors do you have a Scott's pick for us for a scientist. All right, I'm going to go with classic 80s, 90s Baxter Stockman. There's been a terrible mistake! <laughs> oh, that's a nice. really good one. Nice. That's a really good yeah. one. Well, he wasn't half-fly at first, but then he turned into half-fly, and it made him better. So you're talking about Baxter Stockman, who's the scientist from the Ninja Teenage Turtles. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh-huh. yeah, of course. I okay. mean, if you don't know this, you shouldn't be listening to the show. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you're just like, you're like, well, who is that again? You're like, you haven't seen the Turtles. Come on, really? At least one of the versions, not the 2000, early 2000s version. Don't watch that. But he was a, a scientist for Shredder, and he was mostly uh, like his, you know, lackey or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's the one that, you know, he got, he made the mousers. Oh, the little, I forgot about that. Yeah. Those were great. Yeah. yeah those are awesome. He made the uh, sound wave gun, I think. What, didn't he? Or was that some sort of like generic maestro villain? But I remember like Leonardo had the idea to put cotton balls in their ears because he felt like he wasn't smart in one of the episodes, and they said he was smart. I will believe you. <laughs> I think I just made up an specific. episode. <laughs> say, you just made up that episode. You're like, what color were the cotton balls? <laughs> I think. Let's say that he did that. I'm pretty sure he did that. Yeah, he did. He did something too about like uh, it was to seek out sewer rats or whatever, but it was mostly to kill, uh, you know, Splinter and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. 
And his look, I imagine, has a lot to do with why you why you like him. Like his toy and everything is one of the better ones for the toy line, as I remember. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you got you got the bug eyes and everything else, and you got. I, th- I think in the toy line you could actually change him mm-hmm. into the fly, right? Yeah, I think he had like a little sleeve in the back where you could set the wing mantles back and, there. And his eye, is the fly eyeballs. Yeah, on I think top you're right. Him. Yeah. Yeah. So you're like he's he's a regular scientist. He's a fly now. Now you and I saw the Ninja Turtles movie, the one where they look like aliens with nostrils. We saw yeah, no, no, yeah. The the second one was much better, and it was a lot yeah. more uh, towards the cartoon. I think that the actual '80s fans. Yeah, I like that one. I oh, quite quite a bit. Tyler yeah. Perry actually he did. Uh, he picked like two things that I like. I like the Baxter's talking about, and he was uh, a Starfleet admiral. So <laughs> good choices for him. Yeah, <laughs> he was Baxter Stockman in that. No, yeah, I, remember? Yeah, I didn't know that. He was the scientist. Yeah. No, I, I, I am remembering it now. It's, that's weird that I'm like, I just totally. There was like... a lot to process in that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Because Krang was insanely large in that movie. Yes, he was. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good call as well. I don't know. It was a good movie. It was. I don't know why. It was just like, you, you look past the terrible looking turtles. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, I could watch this again. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's an excellent pick. Yeah. Rebecca, do you have any questions about Baxter Stockman? No, I don't have any questions. It's, it's okay. I'm just trying to be quiet and polite like a girl. That's okay. I watched Turtles when I was like a kid because uh-huh. it was on in the morning. They put the, they put the boy cartoons on in the morning and I consequently watched it, but I don't remember. Like I didn't love it even though I did have a Donatello. Mm-hmm. I don't remember Baxter Stockman. It's okay. It's okay that I don't though. No, it is okay. It's fine. It- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I no, I know the figure, like I know the what the uh-huh. toy looks like and stuff, but yeah, that's all I need to know. I'm good. Okay, well now we know a lot about him. Well, yeah, he's yeah. a great scientist to add to our pantheon. Number four. Hmm, you've been infected by a metallic plague, Megatron. Impossible! Only organic forms of life can be infected by disease. This is a rare metallic infection. Legend has it, it wiped out entire races of robots, like the Black Plague did to humans. Are there two words more frightening to a child than educational toy? (laughs) (laughs) My pick, who is a scientist, rides the line between scientific instrument and real toy. That's because he can transform, and I don't want to hear anything about it, I'm picking another transformer. I'm picking Perceptor from the Transformers. Look, I just managed to discuss the Transformers while we were talking about Rocky Horror Picture Show, so I'm I'm fine with it. I don't expect that. I don't expect to keep picking Transformers, but I couldn't help it. It just it the just, Transformers were great. Yeah, there's just this they're all okay. Yeah, they touch everything. And just so you know, not only is this pick some terrific garbage, it replaced something of real literary value that I had in its place that I got rid of. So just good riddance. I didn't have as much to say about that one. Perceptor, on the other hand, is a robot scientist who transforms into a giant microscope. (laughs) He has a British accent, does all the Transformers research, and uses words that help us identify who the dumb Transformers are. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to say that in the brief history of science that I was reading about in preparation for this episode... Uh, the development of the of the microscope was a big step in in delineating like enlightenment correct proper science that we understand now versus just 
earlier crazy speculating about humors and whatnot. <laughs> I guess that it, I mean, was it because when we discovered germs, we realized we couldn't just go with things on a hunch or a powerful argument? Yeah, once you can start looking at something up close and, and really get a sense of its structure, then yes, that, that is an important moment for science. That is an important paradigm revolution, as it were. Anyway, continue about the Transformers. <laughs> well, it definitely um, also, I think, made the concept of science more accessible for people to like it's you know the idea of like a science hobby you could have because you could get in a microscope like that's something people can touch like it's a way for people to get interested in science without having some other weird avenue you might have had before or something yeah hobby science should be more of a thing it really should you have a unique opportunity perceptor do you remember like going to Toys R Us, and it's just, you know, toys everywhere. But then you get to the science section, and all the toys are like, take me home. I've been here <laughs> since a, 1976. The, the section for grandparents to shop out yes. of. Yes. It's like, we're going to get you some nice wooden blocks or this microscope. Yes, or Shunny. geodes, rock tumblers. Yeah. Yeah. Look, your grandparents want you to reach your potential. So you better enjoy and cherish that ant farm. We did it. We had a microscope. I remember we looked at a lot of dead ants. We did a lot of, a lot of I dead bet they ant. looked cool. They did look cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if I had to argue for why I picked him beyond him just being cool, uh, I mean, it's kind of what we were saying. I think you need an imagination to be a good scientist. And, you know, that begins when you're young, which is why I brought up the educational toys. I'd like to think Perceptor made some real scientists. So maybe some boy grew up said one day... I want to grow up to become a microscope. <laughs> Number three. This isn't just a little update. Space has a lot more dangers and variables. Crushing pressure, freezing temperatures, vaporization. All it takes is one little hull breach and then whoosh! That's it! Carla says hi, by the way. Darla, say hi. Hello. At number three, I give you Entrapta. She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. We need an engineer. We do need an engineer. Like an engineer. Like, a, like it is, I, I could say you could be like, well, she's not, she doesn't really. The thing is, she's very much a scientist because she doesn't just build things. Uh -huh. She also does lots of experimentation. and she, she builds scientific tools for herself. Yes. And she's very, very curious about constantly improving. And that's why I think she is like the true spirit of the interesting scientist person. Mm -hmm. So... Um, in the original She-Ra, Entrapta was a villain. Like, and she was just like a one-off villain. I don't even know if she was in more than like one episode or yeah, just a couple. Maybe she was just a couple. Yeah. And she just, she just had prehensile hair and was glamorous and that was about it. Was the one in the old one prehensile hair? Oh, you know what? I don't remember about that. I, I guess not. I, maybe not. I just remember they just found her in some kind, of, some kind of temple. That's all I yeah. really remember. It looked like whatever. Yeah. So you can tell it really made like a impression <laughs> on us. So in the new cartoon, not only does she have prehensile hair, which is amazing, she also is a princess. Uh, she's a non-elemental princess. Don't worry too much about that if you haven't watched it. And so they do more playing with a good versus bad yeah. sort of flip-flop kind of thing. Anyway, I think that it's fascinating that they don't make her one note. And they do make her so focused on science and knowledge and learning that everything else sort of fades into the background for her. She yeah. doesn't 
she's not like happy time friendship i love you but she's also not evil you mm -hmm. know what i'm saying and so it's really kind of a fun character for the from a philosophy of technology standpoint because it's like is knowledge always good when mm -hmm. we seek it and if you're always driven by a desire for knowledge how could that be bad mm -hmm. space is always expanding we're always getting bigger and bigger <laughs> I do really like how they can make a character who is fun and relatable and enjoyable to watch without it being preachy in either direction. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think that there's a whole lot of nuance to this character and to the show that some people um, would be surprised by. Yeah, I was trying to think of what you were saying about how other concerns fade into the background. And it's not even like she knowingly sacrifices or accepts evil or bad things for the sake of science. It's almost like she can't even see them because right. she's so obsessed with, uh, you know, the uh, objective truth that science has enough inherent value. We, <laughs> she's just focused on that. Yeah. She's, she's completely immersed in whatever she's doing, which makes her untouchable in a way, which I really like that in, you know, like in characters mm -hmm. when, um, they're just very single-minded. Actually, I think this is pretty interesting. This was trivia. I just found out. Uh, according to Noelle Stevenson, they did intend for her to be a character who is who's on the, the autism spectrum. Uh -huh. And a lot of her traits were suggested by, it was someone close to the show. It was someone close to one of the writers. I can't remember, but someone working on the show um, and that, who is on the autism spectrum and mm -hmm. who had a lot of suggestions for how to make it. And then fans, of course, when they were watching the show, picked up on it and have since asked her. And she's like, yes, that's correct. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I could, def I could definitely see that because she is very friendly and fun and easy for them to talk to, but she does not respond to the same cues that right. her friends are. Yeah. And it, I, I, I do think the character is like way richer for it. And um, representation really does matter. I do, you know, I'm not, trying to annoy everyone with how woke I am about everything. But this is one of those examples where if you were a, a girl who was on the spectrum and you saw a representation of somebody who sort of thought or interacted like you, even if she were a princess, mm -hmm. you know, even if it's in this fantastical world, I feel like that's got to make a difference to you as you're growing up to feel like more visible. And even just in a practical sense, I mean, the story is better for it. It just makes a more interesting world the more different types of viewpoints you have in that story. Yeah. And I know a lot of old school people don't want to watch She-Ra and the Princesses of Power because they were like, I like the old school one better. Although you probably haven't watched it as much as Will and I have, so I'm gatekeeping a little bit. <laughs> I'm just saying give it a try because it's really, really it's good. It's a really good show. Yeah, it's really good. Number two. Do you have any hobbies? I collect spores, molds, and fungus. You never even had a slinky? We had part of a slinky, but I straightened it. My next pick would like to know if you experience feelings of dread in your basement or attic. Frequently. I'm talking about Egon Spangler from the Ghostbusters. I figured Egon was going to be on your list, <laughs> and I had him in honorable mentions just in case he yeah. wasn't, but I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be hearing from Egon Spangler. Yeah, when we would go play Ghostbusters outside after school, everybody would yell which Ghostbuster they are. Without fail, I always yelled Egon. I always wanted to be Egon. You probably had no competition. Did I anybody... didn't have. Everybody wanted to be Peter. 
That um, is so funny. Which is funny because he's the one with Egon the jokes was, in the cartoons. Oh, yeah, but Egon was the best one. Yeah, he's he's really funny. Now, I'm, I think I like Ray the best now because um, I, I, he, he's super smart and into the occult stuff, and, you know, he's the heart of the Ghostbusters. But Egon, he's definitely the funniest in the movie. I like I like him a lot. <laughs> so, and, and technically, for this topic, I could have picked any of the Ghostbusters because they're all scientists it's true they are yeah now, now that uh winston is an egyptologist and um all the rest of them went to the s- s- same school for their did uh, they go to the xavier <laughs> did they get their online uh, degree no from... it was definitely an accredited one because that's why they got kicked out <laughs> they're like wait a minute what do you think this is the xavier institute we take this seriously uh I, even among all the all the scientists, though, I think we agree that Egon is the scientist of the group. He he's the one who invented the proton pack, and I'm not sure about the PKE meter. I think he invented that too. It's the atomic weight of cobalt, fifty-eight point nine. And surely I don't need to give too much background on Egon, but he's he is my favorite type of scientist. I know a lot of real work gets done through incremental, tightly controlled and measured experiments. But I like he's asking questions about big things we don't see in front of us, like something that really puts us in conversation with the universe. We need to know about ghosts. We need to know if they're there. And there's no reason we can't find, record, and measure the evidence. Okay? Yeah. We need real Egon's. I'm really glad that you picked him so high up on the countdown because I do think we need, like, our stalwart... Ideal scientist, right? I'd say he is like the modern ideal scientist when I think of them represented. Yeah, but with the glasses and he's stoic and yeah. Yeah, and he is doing real science work because um, if you've read Thomas Kuhn's The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, as I assume you all have, you'll know that science doesn't progress in a linear fashion. Throughout history, it's not just like, okay, we kept getting better at science. Um, science progresses because somebody will have like a weird idea and it'll turn out that that'll be the next revolution, Mm -hmm. right? So it was like, you know, everybody's like, what's a planet? And then Copernicus is like, I think we revolve around the sun, yo. What? And so if today, you know, we're in the 80s when Ghostbusters was, we're looking for that next scientific revolution, why not look in the paranormal, wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't that be great to learn about a like a, a realm or a spectrum beyond our perception? Well, I know I talk about this all the time, but it does it drives me crazy that we won't ask silly questions seriously. Yeah, I mean, we, and a scientist should do that. I mean, we we act like these are questions that aren't going to have any relevance to us, or that we can't be knocking on like questions about our existence and that sort of thing. And I just love somebody so seriously uh, committed to it. And Dan Aykroyd, who, <laughs> you know, wrote the script before it got super cleaned up. I mean, he's he's probably the best example of being an advocate for that. I mean, he, he's dead serious about this kind of stuff. And I just, I just love that. Yeah, he's a good pick. He maybe should have been number one, but it's okay. <laughs> uh, uh, We're taking turns. One more thing I was going to mention. I thought I knew pretty much everything about the Ghostbusters, and somehow this escaped me. Some of the actors that were up for this role were Christopher Walken, John Lithgow, Christopher Lloyd, and Jeff Goldblum. I think they all would have done a fine me job. Me too. Those are That's a real, real embarrassment of riches there. Really good uh, <laughs> casting uh, di- direction. Um, I, obviously, I guess it's better because... 
he doesn't read as actor like the other ones. That's true. But he's really interesting. I it's thought. nice to know that we wouldn't have been left with a stinker of an Egon, no matter what That's happened. Right. <laughs> Before we name our top scientist, we feel compelled to list some honorable mentions. Honorable mentions. Sock it to me, Will. I feel like we're going to have to be careful that for a lot of these honorable mentions or picks, you could say Batman for pretty much everything. Yeah, Batman is everything. But we have to we have to mention Batman. He does science in, in his Batcave. Batman's a scientist. A, yeah. That's, what... <laughs> That's right. Uh, I would say Mr. Sinister from uh, Marvel Comics. He's, he's like an evil geneticist, and he's always trying to capture Scott Summers and Jean Grey for stuff. Okay. Yeah, the X-Men's full of them, because I did yeah. have Charles Xavier as, okay. as an honorable mention okay. on my list. You know, I was also thinking about the lizard from Spider-Man, because he's got the lab coat and everything. I mean, so he just looks... He just what about looks... Doc Ock? Is he a scientist? Yeah, yeah. I think so. We, I mean, we're lousy with science. On the DC side, I was going to pick Will Magnus from the Metal Men. He's sort of the tweed 60s scientist. Okay. He's, he's kind of a hip scientist. Uh, Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park. So we yeah. did get Jeff Goldblum in there. Yeah, got to gotta have him. Uh, Reed Richards is probably maybe your temp- uh, arguably a template one. <laughs> <laughs> yep, this is, a, this is a long list. And then the last one I was going to say was the one I took out was the uh, scientist from uh, the Nathaniel Hawthorne story, The Bookmark, which was like the earliest one I could, the birthmark was the earliest one I could I could think of. Wow, that's a deep cut. Yeah, he uh, he did not like that birthmark on his wife. <laughs> so experiments ensued. <laughs> Who's your picks? To that, I would add, oh, I can't believe you didn't say Zephram Cochran. I thought about it. I thought I was going to give a break on Star Trek. I was going to say Dr. Flox from Enterprise. Oh, okay. Who well, did scientists with organisms. I would also say Doc Brown. You didn't say Doc no, Brown, right? Okay. Well, which, you know, obviously we should have yeah. had him. And um, I'm going to, okay, here's my last honorable mention, which is going to dovetail into my rant, which I'm going to try to keep brief. Okay. Dana Scully. Yeah. Okay, now here's why she couldn't be on the countdown, because I feel like she got done dirty by the world, and this is because of my under 30 rule yeah. that you also had. You made up the rule. Okay, can I just say, when you have a woman in a film or in a television show, and she's supposed to be playing someone who is incredibly educated, don't cast an actor who is not old enough to be that character. Because mm-hmm. it's double dirty. Okay, so you know, and this is everybody. You freaking start thinking about lady scientists, except for Agnes Girati. They actually just let her be her uh, age. In Picard. In Picard, because, you know, Alison Pill happens to be a woman in her maybe early 40s. <gasps> Shock. Shocker, right? But uh-huh. they can't have a bunch of uggos stinking up the cast, so they had to put Dr. Asha in there, and I'll get to her. All right. Think about Bones, your mom's favorite forensic anthropologist, a 28-year-old, multiple book author, PhD-possessing, doctor of whatever the crap she is a doctor of. Uh 28 years old. All right. Because when a woman's older than 28, obviously, she's gross. We know this. Yeah, I was going to get into, like, it's like they want her to be everything. Like, she's hot, but let's also make her, like, smart, which m- mitigates us just wanting to cast a hot lady in well, here. Well, yeah. But, but also, it's kind of weird. Like, I don't know, really know how to explain this, but it's kind of like you have to make some decisions when you're growing up, too. Like, the type of person who's going to be your hot young person is not going to make the same choices as the person who is going to go into 
multiple book publishing <laughs> a high education. Like you just can't. It's like an insult to the people who made the other it choices is. and sacrificed things to do it. Um, I'm it not saying is. you can't be smart and attractive. I'm just saying that you but can't, you can't be, be everything at any age. I said, you can't be smart, attractive, and 25 in a freaking PhD holding scientist. You can't. That's not allowed. The culture demands outrageous things from women. And it, <laughs> you're, I'm sorry for all the swear bleeping that you're going to have to do. But like, okay, Dana Scully, she was supposed to be a medical doctor. Her character was supposed to be 29. Mm -hmm. Jillian Anderson, when she started playing her, 25 years old. Because mm -hmm. it's not enough. Like, they, well, well, but the actor that they liked was just 25. You know, that's just, that we just cast who we like. Okay, well, then make the character younger. You don't have a season full of scripts where you can't just insert, like, oh, she's a medical student. Right. Really? You know what I mean? Well, no, she can play 29. A 25-year-old crone can play a 29-year-old crone. And that's just like, okay, fine. That's not a very big deal, Rebecca. Okay, consider this. Now, did you watch the season that just ended of Picard? We've already referenced. All right. There is a character who is working on the Romulan Reclamation Project. And it's an old Borg cube. And they're helping old Borg become non-Borg, right? They're kind of like trying to help them and rehabilitate them. Cool. There's a scientist on that ship. She's an anthropologist, so a social scientist doesn't matter, but all right, there's an anthropologist on that ship. They call her Dr. Asha. It's not a plot point that she's young, but the actor who plays her, and I'm not going to give you any spoilers, but the actor who plays her is 21 years old. Mm-hmm. There's never a line where it's like, hey, you finished uh, finished uh, your PhD a little bit young there, Doogie Howser, am I right? <laughs> did you go to Xavier Institute? Yes, exactly. <laughs> they never freaking mention it, though. Like, did you get your degree somewhere real? Right. But they just call her Dr. Asha. And I have got to tell, like, this is the whole time we watched Picard. Every episode, I'm like, why'd they have to make her so young? Why are they not saying, aren't you a little young to be a doctor of anything? And it just drives me crazy because, again... Because like, like there's no work that goes in, into it. I mean, it's just... Yeah, well, it's just like, well, you can either be a smart-looking lady, and then we'll cast Allison Pill, but she can only play one role. So if, you, if we, we can't look at all these adult faces, it's really going to bum us out. So we need a hot 21-year-old to come in here and play this doctor anthropologist. It makes me enraged. I will only say this one time in the course of the podcast. I'm never going to bring it up again. Number one, because it's obnoxious. Number two, because I love having secrets. But I am a person who got my doctorate at the youngest age that I could have. I have a PhD in cultural studies. In the humanities, I finished all of my college in 10 years. The fastest a <laughs> it person... It felt like a long time. It was a long time. Like, the fastest a person could do it probably is eight. And that's if you really abbreviate your undergrad or if you have one of those master, master PhD comments. Uh -huh. Okay. That's now, this was in the humanities, okay? This is not rigorous. But I, I will tell you that going through a PhD program is intense. It sucks. It makes you question your life. Writing your dissertation, people like start smoking again after years of having yeah. quit. They develop limps. You get gray hair. Like, and it's all in service of your academic career that you're going to have in the future. The service that you're going to do for others as a seeker of knowledge professionally, but mm -hmm. ostensibly that's what it's for. 
And every time you put a 21-year-old as a PhD holder, yeah, you could, she could have that, right? We would just, she just, she just looks young. She's 21 playing 28. Because it's an insult to everyone who ever has put in a lot of work in service of knowledge, in service of bettering humanity. So that's all. <laughs> I'm hot. I am perspiring. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, one thing I was going to add was even if you can figure out a reason why they would be that young and hold it, it's kind of, it feels kind of like weird and forced just because you wanted them young. Yes. Because like- You have to a justify lot of, it. You'll see a lot of like, especially like cartoons and in some comics, they will um, come up with some sci-fi reason why it's an old woman in a very young woman's body, yeah. which kind of always squeaks me out. Yes. Um, and so- <laughs> Deeply I, troubling. I, I think that there's, there's, there's some resonance there bet- between those things. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's gross. And I just am, was disappointed to see Star Trek engage in it. Cause think about TNG. They were grown women. Mm-hmm. Deanna Troy at her hot, her, her hottest Beverly Crusher doing aerobics together. They were grown adult women. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, just why? And just don't. And I don't <laughs> care if the actor you cast knows martial arts and that's why you cast her. No, you cast her because you didn't want some old crones wrinkling up your screen. <laughs> By the ancients. The end. What, what about Natalie Portman is Jane Foster in Thor? <laughs> you just said that to make me mad. You just said that to make me mad. Number one. Okay, so who is your above 30, number one scientist <laughs> pick of all time? Was he above 30 when he made this film? It's, it's, you sh- everybody knows. There was no, there was no drama to this that I was going to pick. Our man, Jeffrey Combs, Herbert West reanimator. Oh, that is a good one. Yeah, that's a really good one. I, I don't know why I didn't think about that. I don't know, especially because I left the Lovecraft book out and you probably. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, why was she I looking at I just figured that this? was out. A minute ago. It's really quite simple. All life is a physical and chemical process, correct? It stands to reason, then, that if one could find extremely fresh specimens and recharge that chemical process, bang, we have reanimation. The theory is not new, West, but my reagent is. He's just in the air in our house. No, that's true. And I think that that's a good point about Lovecraft in general. Um, I think we can all agree that he, as a human being, was not the greatest. Yeah, we Um, should probably say that now so we can just... Mention yeah. his stuff later. We well, know yeah, that. I mean, we all yeah. know that. He he uh he was racist. I mean, you know, that's yeah. not, it's not a good thing. Just because it was in 1922 doesn't make it any better. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing about his work is that it's m- less about the stuff that he wrote and more about how people just took his wacky ideas and uh-huh. have incorporated into science fiction like completely. Like you know, uh, the Cthulhu mythos, even if mm-hmm. you don't know anything about. H.P. Lovecraft's writing. Mm-hmm. You know about the old ones and the deep and everything. And uh, even if you've never read his work. And you know that solo note for note because I play Call of Cthulhu <laughs> Call of in the house Cthulhu. all day, all the time. <laughs> yes, you do. I, 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 too, have heard the Call of Cthulhu. Um, and, you know, if you're a horror buff, even if you've never read any of his works, any of his short fiction, you you know the film Reanimator, starring our favorite man on Earth. Our favorite is he our favorite actor? Both he, of us. Yeah, in the world? I kind of want to see more than anybody else. I mean, I'm always happy when he shows up. 
Um, oh, but you know what? It's okay if he wasn't 30 yet because he was a medical student. Okay. 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 He was a he was a medical student. They weren't like, here's Herbert West, reanimator. He's 28. He's got three books and he's hot. Like, no. He was a med student who, as the movie goes, had invented a reagent serum that you could inject into someone and bring them back to life from the dead. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey Combs played this part with aplomb. And um, it's just a really silly, super-duper gory, ridiculous camp horror film. So, I mean, you know, if you're into that, you you should give Reanimator a watch. And, of course, it was his most famous role. And I think even to this day, people love Jeffrey Combs because he was in Reanimator. A couple of uh, production facts for you here. Writer, director, producer Stuart Gordon, who actually passed away pretty recently... Um, he was the one who wanted to bring this to life and he had intended for his first film to sort of be like an art house film where he thought that that's kind of what he would do. And someone suggested to him that he do a horror movie because he's like, look, even if it's terrible, you'll make your money back. Uh And then he accidentally goes and makes this ridiculous cult classic that everyone loves. And they used 24 gallons of fake blood in the production. And because there was so much, they had to run through their takes. Like, they couldn't do multiple takes sometimes because it would have just been such a pain to clean up all the Mm -hmm. blood after they got it on themselves. Mm -hmm. So it was that kind of environment. And, of course, they also rehearsed the whole thing like a play because uh, the casting director actually saw Jeffrey Combs in a stage production. And they were like, I want that weirdo to be our Herbert West. He still does a lot of the Edgar Allan Poe uh, monologues. Oh, and that was another thing, too. Uh-huh. Stuart Gordon was really influenced by the works of Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, okay. And that's he, you know, he, and that was a thing that resonated with Jeffrey Combs as well. Also a big fan of Poe. Yeah. And he'll tell you. He'll tell you about it. He also will say, truth or dare. <laughs> <laughs> he'll say all kinds of great stuff. <laughs> Okay, well, I speak for both of us when I say that that list took us everywhere to lots of different places. (laughs) But we did hit all the things we talked about earlier, which makes me feel like it was controlled in some way. It makes me feel like it was all on purpose. Yeah, I I, I don't know why I feel like it needs to be on track. I I don't know what my rubric is for this, but we talked about people vacillating between good and bad on the science spectrum. Uh, We talked about man's hubris. We did. And whether it's controlled or uncontrolled and whether it's ill or good. We talked about how old you have to be to be a scientist. We talked about that a lot. I'm sorry you have to We talked And we talked about Jeffrey Combs and Transformers again. (laughs) So it's just another great day in the neighborhood. I think so. Is what I'm And the dog did all kind of disgusting stuff. I can't wait to hear if I'm able to edit out. So we'll we'll see what happens. That'll be some real audio science if I can make that work. He could help it. <laughs> well, if you have thoughts on this list or your own suggestions, just email us at rumors at thewizardsnightshirt.com or hit us up on social media. We might share some of your thoughts on the next episode. Will, where can people follow us? You can find us on Twitter or Instagram, or you can visit thewizardsnightshirt.com to find out about this show and our other shows like Curl Holler our original Halloween comedy series, as well as a complete archive of our Masters of the Universe review show. Or come geek out with Rebecca about audio production on her weekly stream at twitch.tv slash Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week when we call forth new champions.
Feel humble.